morning. I invite you to take your copy of God's Word and open it again to the Psalms. This morning in Psalm 84. Psalm 84. Uh, if you're new to making your way around the Bible, you can find Psalm 84 somewhere right near the middle. So just take your Bible, open it up to the middle. If you land in Proverbs or Isaiah, you're going to want to go backwards until you find the Psalms. Uh, the large numbers on the pages are the chapters. The smaller superscripted numbers there are the verses. We're looking for Psalm 84. Uh, this week, as you know, as I mentioned, Nikki and I traveled to New Orleans and back safely and, and thankfully so. And uh, if you're at all like me, the worst part of any trip or the hardest part of any trip, uh, whenever you're traveling, whether you're driving or flying, whatever, is the home stretch, is the, is the bit from where you're going from wherever you were back home. And it's the hardest part, not usually because travel is... is uh, harder, although sometimes flights get delayed and things like that. But, but it's harder just because it's like, I'm just ready to be home. I've been gone for this many days. I'm out of clean underwear. I'm just ready to be home. I'm ready to get back to my house and my bed and my sheets and my pillow and my refrigerator. I'm just ready to get home. And, it can, and that last home stretch can just feel like an eternity to actually get there. Uh, fortunately, our, our flight back from New Orleans was relatively quick. We had a brief layover in Houston and then the rest of the way here, and all went smoothly. Uh, there was a trip uh, that Nikki and I took with our kids a number of years ago. We were coming back, I think we were coming back from Atlanta, and uh, we were supposed to fly through Denver, and we got into Denver, and our flight was delayed, uh, and then it was delayed again, and then it was delayed again. We were supposed to get back into Albuquerque at like 10.30 at night. We had all three of our, uh, our girls at that time, and it just kept getting pushed back, pushed back. But we finally got home at 2.30 in the morning uh, from Denver after all of the delays. And of course, our blessed children were awake at 5.30 the next morning to help us to just be so grateful that we were finally home. That longing for home after, a, after an extended trip, that long trip or just seems longer because you're just ready to get there, is a reminder to us of, of all that home is and means to us. Home is a place of rest where we get to sleep in our own bed. Home is a place of security where, where, where you can rest in comfort without having to worry about who am I going to run into uh, in this place and not in a bad way, but just maybe I don't want to talk to people or whatever. Like Home is a place of comfort. All your food is there. All your clothes are there. You're not living out of a suitcase or out of an extended stay or whatever. It's a place of provision. You've got your food in your fridge just the way that you like it. We long for home because it is all of these things to us. Psalm 84 is a psalm about home and our most blessed home. And it's a psalm about the blessing for those who find their home ultimately in, in God. In the strength that come from trust, in the strength and the, the home, the comfort, the security that comes from trust in God. The main idea of this text and, and even of our sermon this morning is this, that there is blessing for the one who finds his home, his place of rest, security, comfort in Christ. As we see this uh, in the psalm this morning, I hope that we would come to rejoice in the strength, rejoice in the peace that we find in our place of perfect belonging, the home for our souls, Jesus, our Christ. Psalm 84, the blessing of home. Would you stand as you're comfortably able as we honor God by reading his word, Psalm 84. 
psalmist begins the psalm by giving us some instruction about how the psalm is to be sung or to be played to the choir master according to the Gittith, a psalm of the sons of Korah. How lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord of hosts. My soul longs, yes, faints for the courts of the Lord. My heart and flesh sing for joy to the living God. Even the sparrow finds a home, and the swallow a nest for herself, where she may lay her young at your altars, O Lord of hosts, my King and my God. Blessed are those who dwell in your house, ever singing your praise, Selah. Blessed are those whose strength is in you, in whose heart are the highways to Zion. As they go through the valley of Baca, they make it a place of springs. The early, the early rain also covers it with pools. They go from strength to strength. Each one appears before God in Zion. O Lord God of hosts, hear my prayer. Give ear, O God of Jacob, Selah. Behold our shield, O God. Look on the face of your anointed. For a day in your courts is better than a thousand elsewhere. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of wickedness. For the Lord God is a sun and a shield. The Lord bestows favor and honor. No good thing does he withhold from those who walk uprightly. O Lord of hosts, blessed is the one who trusts in you. This is God's word. You may be seated. There is blessing for the one who finds his home in Christ. Now this is a psalm that was written before Jesus was ever born. So you may be wondering, how do we get from the temple, Zion, or, or Jerusalem, this, this traveling uh, on the way to Jerusalem to Christ? Well, we'll get there, don't worry. In verses 1 through 4, the psalmist tells us through one beatitude, one blessed is statement that comes the, in verse 4, blessed are those who dwell in your house, ever singing your praise. The psalmist teaches us that God is our blessed home. God is our blessed home. Now, Psalm 84, you may have picked up on it, is a, a pilgrim song. It's a song that's meant to be sung on the way to Jerusalem and to the temple. There are some indicators to the fact that this is a pilgrim song. There is, in the first uh, portion uh, of the psalm, the longing that the psalmist has for God's dwelling place, which is, the, in his day, the temple in the day of the psalmist. We have the imagery of sparrows who are nesting in a secure home in the temple of God, finding their security there. There is the, after they've been flying around about in the wilderness, making a home in God's temple. There is the journey that we see uh, illustrated for us in verses 5 through 8, a journey through a dry valley, the valley of Baca. There is the expression of longing for home and for security in verses 9 through 12. This is a song that travelers sing when they're on their way to Jerusalem, to Zion. This journey song begins with the psalmist's delight in the beauty of God's temple, his dwelling place. How lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord of hosts. The Bible notes for us that God's perfect dwelling place is not necessarily a temple built with hands in Jerusalem, but God's perfect dwelling place is in heaven. Psalm 11 verse 4 says, The Lord is in his holy temple. The Lord's throne is in heaven. His eyes see, his eyelids test the children of man. But the temple... And even before it, the tabernacle, that tent that the people, uh, that the Hebrews carried with them through the wilderness and uh, uh, after leaving uh, Egypt and before the day uh, that the temple was built in Solomon's day, the tabernacle and the temple were the place on earth where God would cause his presence to dwell among his covenant people. 
Now, the way that the psalmist speaks of the temple, like he sees it just on the horizon, like it's, it's on a hill just far enough away, and he just can't wait to get there. He can't get there seemingly fast enough lets us in on his love for not just the temple. The psalmist doesn't just love the the temple on the horizon, but the one who dwells there. The psalmist or the pilgrim who sings this psalm is not enamored with the temple, uh, the building itself, but with the temple's occupant, who is God. So lovely is God's manifest presence among his people that the psalmist speaks with the strain of homesickness for it. My heart and flesh sing for joy. Or maybe a a better translation is cry aloud to the living God. I can't wait to get home. This longing for God causes the psalmist to think of other travelers of the world. In this case, sparrows. These relatively insignificant but numerous birds find a home in the altars of God, the psalmist says. In the places of sacrificial worship to God, they nest not only in his house, but they nest in his hands. They nest in the hands of the Lord of hosts, as the psalmist calls him. This is a a way of speaking about God being, uh, the, the word is literally God of armies or Yahweh of armies. Sparrows find a home in the hands of the Lord of hosts. The warrior God, we see, is also a nurturing God. The sparrows find their home in the dwelling place of the living God where they raise their young. The presence of God is itself life to the vulnerable. In the home of God, the king of all the universe, these sparrows make their nests, make their homes. The God of all creation, we see, as the psalmist tells us, is a provider to all who seek what they need from him. If sparrows can find all of this from the Lord, how much more those who have been made in his own image. The psalmist's reflection on home and the temple as as his place of home, not where he lives, but where he belongs, culminates in the first of these three beatitudes in this psalm. Blessed are those who dwell in your house, who live in your house, who make their home in your house, ever singing your praise. This beatitude means something like, happy are those who live in your house, God. Happy are those who are secure in your home, Lord. Happy are those who know the security of making their home in your blessed, protective presence, sings the psalmist. That's what home is, isn't it? It's a place for living. It's a place for security. It's a place where you can let your guard down, where you can rest, where you can find peace. It's where you belong. The home is not always a house, though, right? The old adage, home is where the heart is. There's, there's a fair bit of truth to that statement, isn't it? And for the psalmist, his home is not the physical building of the temple. And, and we understand that even as we read this imagery. Nor is his, his home, his place of belonging, even the city of Jerusalem, Zion, where he's headed to. His home is God himself. So as to say, God, wherever you are is where I want to be. And if I'm with you, I am perfectly at home and I can't wait to get there. This idea of the temple as God's dwelling place takes on an interesting development throughout the course of the Bible. The psalmist is singing with longing for the the temple. In 586 B.C., the the temple that was previously built by Solomon, the son of David, that temple was destroyed by the invading armies of Babylon. The temple would be eventually rebuilt when the Jews returned to Jerusalem around 538 B.C., but God's glory didn't fill the temple again like it did in the days of Solomon. 
It was still a home for worship of God's people, yes. The Ark of the Covenant was missing. But something else was different. The prophet Ezekiel prophesied a day when God would come into his temple, Ezekiel 37, and be among his people again. A day when, when God would manifest his presence among his people as he did in the, in the days of the Exodus. But for hundreds of years, it seemed like that would never happen. From 538 B.C. until Christ's coming, the, there was a temple, but it wasn't quite what it was. And that picture of the blessed presence of God had been for the Hebrews always just sort of there on the horizon. We're waiting for that day. Can't wait to get there. Then Jesus arrives. This Son of God who, as John says in John 1, 14, dwelt among us, literally tabernacled among us. The temple ceased to be a building, and in Christ, the temple, the place of God's manifest presence among his people, became a man. The Lord of hosts, the King of armies, the King of the universe, making his home in human flesh in the person of his own divine Son. Jesus himself offers us a home. He offers rest and peace, peace to all who are weary and burdened. Matthew 11, 28 and 29, come to me all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Jesus, being very God in flesh, gave then his sinless life in our place so that our sins might be forgiven. And he was raised again to give us the promise of everlasting life with him if we'll trust him, if we'll find our home in him by faith in him. And what's more, Jesus has promised his own Holy Spirit, the very Spirit of God, to everyone who trusts him for forgiveness of their sins, a right relationship with God, and life forever in his presence. And in believing Christ and being given his spirit, as Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 3 and 1 Corinthians 6, and as Peter says in 1 Peter 2, in receiving the Holy Spirit, we become a living temple to God, a living dwelling place for God, God making his home in the hearts of believers. Let that sink in a minute. The temple goes from a building of marble to the Warm flesh of your own life. But which would you rather have as God's home? God is the blessed home of the psalmist. The psalmist, even, even before knowing Jesus, knows God is where I need to be. With Him, in His presence. Not just in the temple, not just in Jerusalem, but wherever God is is where I need to be. But only when He is able to be with God in the temple. That is when He is home. In Christ God has moved his home from the beautiful but cold and lifeless edifice of marble and gold to the newly warmed and lively heart of those who bear his image that he has brought to life in Christ. You, you, you are meant to be God's dwelling place. If home is where the heart is and Christ is your heart's occupant, then there's no place in this world that you can go and be apart from your heart's truest home. Blessed are those who dwell not only in the house of God, but whose hearts become the very dwelling place of God. God is our blessed home. The psalmist tells us further, or leads us to sing further, perhaps I should say, the psalms are songs, to sing that God is not just our blessed home, but God is also our blessed strength. Verses 5 through 8. The psalmist follows one beatitude with another. Verse 4, blessed are those who dwell in your house, ever singing your praise. Verse 5, blessed are those whose strength is in you, who, in whose heart are the highways to Zion. Blessed are those whose hearts know the way to God's dwelling place. Zion is another name for Jerusalem. It was the home of the temple. It was the home of the king's palace. 
The heart that knows how to get there is a happy one, the psalmist says. And the heart that knows how to get to God's city is a strong one. The psalmist turns to an image of an, of an arid desert, a dry desert, and a place of pain. He calls it the Valley of Baca. Now, this is not a real geographical valley. It's a metaphorical word, uh, one. The word Baca means to weep, to cry, to sob. This is the valley of weeping, the valley of sorrows, the valley of pain. The one who knows the Lord, the one for whom the Lord is their strength, well, for that person, the dry valley of depression and sorrow, the valley of Baca, becomes a life-giving oasis, flowing with life-giving water. That person who, whose strength is in the Lord goes from strength in the sustenance of God in the desert to the strength in the presence of God in His temple. For the one who knows God in truth, for the one whose delight it is to worship the Lord, for the one whose memories are of God's faithfulness, for the one whose sustenance is the very Word of God, for this person, every human weakness becomes just one more place for the power of God to shine through. Psalm 18, 1-3 says, I love you, O Lord, my strength. The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer, my God, my rock in whom I take refuge, my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. I will call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised and I am saved from my enemies. Psalm 28, verses 6 and 8. Blessed be the Lord for he has heard the voice of my pleas for mercy. The Lord is my strength and my shield. In him my heart trusts and I am helped. My heart exults and with my song I give thanks to him. The Lord is the strength of his people. He is the saving refuge of his anointed. Psalm 118, 14, the Lord is my strength and my song. He has become my salvation. In your time of weakness, friend, in your time of sorrow, pain, weeping, your valley of Baca, what is your strength and sustenance? Is it your own ability to overcome the situation, to pull yourself up by your bootstraps? Is your source of strength and sustenance uh, in your ability to stuff away the tears and put on a brave face? Is your stamina found in your own grit and determination not to be defeated? What about when all those efforts come up empty? What happens when the straps tear off your boots? When all your energy is spent, when the pain, the sorrow, the weakness, the crisis remains, what then do you do? Where then is your strength? The psalmist here in verse 8 does not try to pull himself up by his bootstraps, but instead he cries to the Lord God of hosts, the God of armies, the covenant-making God with his forefather Jacob, the trustworthy and promise-making God, and he prays, God help, God sustain me, God give me strength. This is a horrible, hard, sad, painful season of life. Help. When Paul, the apostle, was plagued by some malady, some sickness, some pain that kept him from what he thought would be fruitful work for Christ, Paul too cried out to God. And three times he got an answer that I'm not sure he was expecting. Three times Paul prayed, God, remove this thorn from my flesh, this harassing messenger of Satan that constantly reminds me of my inability, my weakness. Take this thing that saps my strength and, bring me, and brings me so low. God, take it away. Three times Paul prays this. And three times, God answered him this way, 2 Corinthians 12, 9 and 10. And he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. 
And so Paul says, therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weaknesses, with insults, with hardships, with persecutions and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. How can Paul say this? How can Paul say that weakness is actually strength? Seems paradoxical. Because he can say this because he knows where true sustenance and true strength come from. Not from himself, not from his abilities, not from his plans or his strategies, but real strength, real sustenance, true strength and sustenance come from God, who in Christ took on the weakness of human flesh to demonstrate his strength over all things by his death and resurrection. 2 Corinthians 13, verse 4, Paul says, He, Christ, was crucified in weakness, but he lives by the power of God. Hebrews 4, 15 and 16, We do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. So let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may find mercy and grace in time of need. It feels like an oxymoron to say that weakness is strength. But weakness, weakness that's submitted to the omnipotent, the all-powerful God to do whatever He will with it and through it is not weakness at all. Rather, that kind of weakness submitted to God is wisdom. It is might. It is power. Now, the great deception that we commit against ourselves is in convincing ourselves that we are not weak in our humanity, but rather very strong. We are strong to build mighty cities. We are strong to create great businesses. We are strong to change culture. We are strong to overcome addictions. We deceive ourselves by saying we are strong to scale the mountain to the divine that we might be like gods ourselves. And nothing could be further from the truth. The true strength is not found in using our abilities in comparison to God. True strength is not found in using our ingenuity in contrast to God or our might in combat against His power. No true strength is found in the realization that up against the holy, mighty, just, powerful God that we are but nothing. And then to submit our lives to him as king so that he might reign in us and through us exercise his holiness in ways that we never had even considered before. Repentance from sin, trust in Jesus looks weak and feeble like the naked savior did nailed to the cross. But the miraculous irony of it all is that this is the only and strong way for sin to be defeated in us, to be crucified with Christ by dying to sin so that we might, as he does, live in the power of God. How happy is the one whose strength is in Jesus, the victorious Lord over sin. God is our blessed home, the psalmist tells us. God is our blessed strength. Christ, we know, makes his home in the hearts of believers, and Christ intends to strengthen even the weakest of us so that the power and might and wisdom of God might be displayed. Verses 9 through 12, the psalmist teaches us to sing that not only is God our blessed home and our blessed strength, but that God is also our blessed king. The final strophe of this psalm, a strophe, that's a fancy way of saying paragraph for a poem, The final strophe of this psalm begins, and it does so with a petition, a prayer for the king. The psalmist says, Behold, our shield and anointed. It's a simple prayer for the king, who is God's chosen protector of his people in Jerusalem, in Zion. It's almost like the British petition, God save the king, 
We say God save the king now. There's a king there, not a queen. Used to forever, my whole life, we said God save the queen, but now it's God save the king. It's like the same thing. The psalmist is saying the same thing. Behold our shield and our anointed. If the king is lively and his king and his reign is secured, then the house of the Lord will be protected. If the king who sits on David's throne is alive, that's good. And as verse 10 reflects the intention of the first verses of the psalm, the house of the Lord is a blessed place to be. So it is so blessed that just one day in the presence of the Lord there is better than a thousand days anywhere else. It's better to be a doorkeeper, which is what the Korahites were. We, we read in the instructions of the psalm that this is a psalm of the sons of Korah. The Korahites were doorkeepers in the temple, opening them at the beginning of the day, closing them when it's time for everybody to go home. I'd rather be a doorkeeper in God's house than to live even in luxury among the wicked, the psalmist says. In verse 11, the psalmist combines images. He takes two and squishes them together. He's made a petition for the king, the shield and anointed of the people. But then he uses that very same language to speak about God. Behold, our shield and anointed. And then later, verse 11, for the Lord God is a sun and a shield. The Lord bestows favor and honor and does not withhold any good thing from those who walk uprightly. For as much as this psalm intercedes on behalf of the human king of Israel, it goes further to remind the reader or the singer or even the pilgrim on his way to Jerusalem that the real king, the true king, the king of all kings and the light of life who shines on all humanity is not the man who sits on the throne in Jerusalem, but the true king is God himself. He is our shield. He is our son. Now to be sure, the psalm recognizes what has been God's intention from the very beginning, that he himself would be king over his people. Kings provide protection, safety, security, leadership, provision, deliverance from enemies. It was always God's plan for his people to look to him for all of this and more. And in their stubbornness, in the days of Samuel, the judge and prophet, the people asked for a human king. We want a king like all the other nations around us. Why can't we be like them? And in response to their petition, they got Saul. Saul was tall. Saul was handsome. But Saul was a coward and a self-aggrandizing megalomaniac. So God deposed Saul and chose instead David, a shepherd, a man after God's own heart. Not because David was perfect. He wasn't. You read David's life, you find in many ways he was, he was even far more sinful than a lot of us in this room. God chose David not because he was perfect, but because he knew that he wasn't perfect. And because David knew that he, even as king, that even the king needed God's help. Even the king needed God's provision. Even the king needed God's mercy and forgiveness and grace. David knew that even as king, he needed a sovereign. He needed a king who could rescue him. Because of his relationship with the Lord that way and seeking to do right by God and to walk in repentance, God makes a covenant with David. 2 Samuel 7, saying that he would give to David's son, somewhere in the distant future, a kingdom, but a kingdom that would never fail, an everlasting kingdom. And when God's people rebelled against the Lord and were sent into exile hundreds of years after David's death, God spoke through the prophet Ezekiel promising to rescue his people from Babylon and return them to himself. 
In Ezekiel 34, 15, and 16, the Lord says, I myself will be the shepherd of my sheep, and I myself will make them lie down, declares the Lord God. I will seek the lost, and I will bring back the strayed, and I will bind up the injured, and I will strengthen the weak, and the fat and the strong I will destroy. I will feed them in justice. Continuing on in the same chapter, Ezekiel 34, verse 22, the Lord says, I will rescue my flock, that they shall no longer be a prey. And I will judge between sheep and sheep, and I will set up over them one shepherd, my servant David, and he shall feed them. He shall feed them and be their shepherd, and I, the Lord, will be their God, and my servant David shall be prince among them. I am the Lord, I have spoken. Now here's an interesting paradox. It seems like maybe a contradiction in this one chapter of Ezekiel. Because in Ezekiel 34:15, the Lord says, I myself will shepherd the sheep. And then in Ezekiel 34, 23, the Lord says, I will set up over them one shepherd, my servant David. So who is God talking about? Who will shepherd his people when they come back into their city? Himself or the son of David? Well, the answer is yes. (laughs) The prayer for God's favor on a human king And his delight in God as divine king point us, like Ezekiel, to the one human king who is God himself, the descendant of David, the son of God, Jesus the Christ, who is fully God, fully man, a descendant of the king who will shepherd his people, who says of himself in John 10, I am the good shepherd. Jesus, the king who comes to rescue his people from slavery to sin and to bring them to a place of rest and peace, he is that godly king. Jesus is the king who provides abundant life in his presence. Jesus is the king who is God incarnate, who is knowable to us and who himself knows us better than we know ourselves. Jesus is the king whose reign is not limited to this world, but who is creator and sustainer over this world. He is the God man and the king who is himself the radiance of the glory of God in the exact imprint of his nature, who upholds the universe by the word of his power and who after making purification for sins sat down so as to reign as king at the right hand of the majesty on high as Hebrews 1.3 says. Now, if it is true that God is our blessed king and that he in the man Jesus Christ has defeated our greatest enemy, sin and death, giving us security and strength and a home in himself for everyone who trusts him. If all that is true, then we can say with all the vigor, all the energy of the psalmist in verse 12, oh, Lord of hosts, how happy is the one who has trusted in you, our King, our Christ, our Redeemer, our Rescuer, our strength, our rest, our peace, our confidence, our divine home. Blessed is the one, happy is the one who has found themselves in you. Psalm 84 sings out of the longing of our heart for a home to dwell in safety. I can't wait to get there. I'm so tired of traveling. I just need to sleep in my own bed. Sings of the longing for a strength to sustain us until we're safely home. And a king who will give us all these things out of his benevolent generosity. Psalm 84 is a psalm of the heart's longing for life, not as it is, but life as it ought to be. And it's a psalm that directs us to Jesus, who is the king that gives strength to the weary and a home for every soul who seeks him. It's a song that reminds Christian pilgrims in this life, who reminds you, brothers and sisters, who walk by faith in Christ, that there is yet a home waiting for us, a place of perfect peace and security, where we will dwell forever in the presence of our king. Yes, Christ makes his home in our hearts by the Spirit today, but one day our home will be in his very real perfect 
undefiled, unfading presence. Psalm 84 is a psalm that should kindle in us a longing for our king to return and to remind us of his certain promise of his return. In Revelation, the last book of the Bible, chapter 22, verses 12 to 17, Jesus says to John the Apostle who's receiving this vision, Behold, I am coming soon, bringing my recompense with me to repay each one for what he has done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. John says, Blessed are those who wash their robes so that they may have the right to the tree of life and they may enter the city by the gates. Outside of the dogs and sorcerers, the sexually immoral and murderers and, and idolaters and everyone who loves and practices falsehood, I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you about these things for the churches. I am the root and descendant of David, the bright morning star. John says the spirit and the bride, the bride is the bride of Christ, the church, the spirit and the bride say, come. And let the one who hears say, come. And let the one who is thirsty come. Let the one who desires take the water of life without price. We're looking forward to that home. That home promised by a king who we know is returning, who has saved us for himself, for his glory, and for our heart's greatest good, that our perfect home, our perfect strength, our perfect life might be with him. Psalm 84 is a song that sings of the heart's cry of every person for home and to be where they most perfectly belong. Friend, as a man or a woman made in God's image, your home is meant to be with your creator. Not just where he is, but with him, in relationship with him. But each of us has followed our own way. We've rejected God as king, even as the Israelites did in Samuel. And we set ourselves, we've set ourselves as traitors and as rebels against God, our king. All the same, he calls us home. He calls us to see the peril, the danger of our sin, and that it deserves death. And that separation from him is what we receive because of our sins. And then he calls us to turn and to fall on his grace and his kindness. Not to prove ourselves forgivable, but to demonstrate that we know that we don't deserve forgiveness. We fall on God's grace and kindness. A kindness that punishes his own son, the King of Kings, Jesus, in our place. To fall on his grace, a grace that brings us to our home in Christ without fear of punishment. It's already been paid. It's a call to a home that's guarded in holiness and that will nurture your holiness in the likeness of Jesus. It's a home that promises spiritual strength that shines through your weakness. A home that lasts longer than forever, where we will ever sing the praises of the God who saved us. There is blessing for the one who finds his home in Christ. I'm tempted to ask for a witness. Christian, are you happy? Are you happy in the Lord Jesus Christ who is your home? Will you share that gladness with those who do not know it yet? Friend, in this place who may not know Jesus as Lord and Savior yet, we who know our home is in Christ would find no greater gladness today than being able to point you to how you may know Christ in truth and in faith. It's as, it's as simple as recognizing that Jesus is God's Son who died for your sins and was raised again and in a, a, a prayer, a demonstration of, of faith, communicating to God in, in whatever words make most sense in your heart, God, I know that I'm a sinner, that I need saving. I believe that Jesus gives that to me, and I want him to be my Lord. I want my life to be 
his. God save me. It's as simple as a prayer of faith like that. Truly believed that God uses to save those who will trust in him. And so if you need help to know how to do that, if you need help to know how to have confidence of of your home with Christ, find one of our members today. Come find me after worship this morning. Let's talk together about how you can find your home in God, your creator today. Let's pray together as we ask God to do his work in us by his spirit.